Welcome back to the After Everything Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleep, and on today's episode, Gabe Yanez and I, we're back on the mic for our weekly episode. We dive into questions that you guys have asked, and we talk about what's going on in our lives. Now, this week, we start off talking a little bit more on the business side. So if you're interested in the business side of fitness, definitely the first part of this conversation is excellent for you. We then navigate into easy meals to make. Gabe shares some nutrition advice. I really appreciate what he had to say. We finished off by talking about our compete track, talk a little bit about salt bike techniques. If you're interested in getting better at the assault bike, this one's going to be great for you. And lastly, if you're a gym owner out there and you have not checked out the Build Better newsletter, make sure to check out the podcast show notes. We talk a little bit more about this in the episode, but we have a ton of content that comes out every other week that Gabe puts out that's a lot of value. So make sure to check out the Build Better newsletter. And if you're getting value out of these podcasts, if you enjoy them, just tell a friend about it. That's all I ask. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Let's keep getting after it. See you guys again next week. All right, I'm officially recording. So here's a here's an interesting um, thought process, right? So when you look at like models like F45, Orange Theory, they have, I mean, they're a franchise model versus Cross, which is a license model, which is completely different. I understand that where, you know, there's more systems and, and um, specific guidelines you have to follow and, and et cetera. And I'd say there are pros and cons of both, right? CrossFit, you know, the, the barrier to entry was pretty low. So it allowed guys like me to open without taking on these huge loans, et cetera, or, or, you know, have a better opportunity to open and not have to have, you know, I don't know, half a million dollars in the bank or whatever it was. But on the flip side, it, it, it lacked consistency across the locations, whereas F45, Orange Theory, et cetera, they had a big, you know, kind of barrier to entry. So you're not able to get maybe some of these guys who could maybe build something special, but there was more consistency. And I'm curious if you go back in time, so when I was first introduced to CrossFit, it was in 2006. And the first gym I ever visited was CrossFit One World in Fremont. And this gym was inside of a training area. So they had jujitsu, stand-up MMA, and then uh, and then like this little CrossFit area. And then from there, that inspired the, the Austin McGeeving, who was my coach at the time, to open up a CrossFit inside of a racquetball court at a conventional gym that I worked at. So I went from training at this one gym to then in 2007, we opened up a small studio inside an 800 square foot racquetball court with like, we built our own pull-up bars. We built everything because it rogue wasn't as really a, around at that point in 07. And I wonder looking back on that, where the inspiration came from one world, then our inspiration came from one world. Then we went to CrossFit HQ, the original CrossFit in Santa Cruz and you get inspiration there. But I wonder what would happen for the trajectory of CrossFit as they opened if the first initial one, like H, like like in Santa Cruz, looked different, had a different appeal. Would that have stemmed and sparked a bunch of gyms that looked similar to that? Because what ended up happening is you got a bunch of gyms that ended up looking like that original CrossFit warehouse, uh, you know, bay doors, a lot of equipment, et cetera. And that kind of stemmed it. I wonder if that first location was in a retail spot and looked different. Would would all the crosses from there in the future have set that expectation? It was just something I was, I don't know, I was just thinking about as you and I were talking before we started recording. Yeah, I mean, I think naturally, you know, it, it, it would have. Everyone's going to take inspiration from what came before them. But I think that, A, it was a different time back then. Like, in many ways, Orange Theory and all of these other places are a, a response to what CrossFit and Glassman created. Like, they they saw an opportunity because there was an arbitrage between the offering 
and like the aesthetic. And they realized that like, hey, group class fitness, like people like that. But does everyone like doing group class fitness on dirty floors where your shirt is gross after you do some burpees? Probably not. So there's an opportunity there to offer group class, make it exciting, get as many people in the room as possible while offering maybe, you know, a, a, a more high-end experience, you know, just from like an aesthetic point of view. But maybe you can argue that that wouldn't have happened had CrossFit not shown how popular the group class model was in the first place. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's no question that what Greg did, you know, changed the landscape. I was just, I was just curious, like many, many people, um, I mean, I don't know. I, I, there was very, probably very few people remember what the original, original cross was and even less people ever went there. And, you know, it's, it's still in some of these old school videos from like 2005, 2006. And it's, it was, a, it was a, it was an interesting time because that set the standard for what was to come in the future. And, and really for the most part, you know, the gyms have kind of stayed in that same realm. You know, I think we've kind of taken a little bit more of a retail approach. But for the most part, you know, the warehouses are still popping. And I still think for a lot of gyms, it makes sense, especially if your zoning's okay, because you can keep your rent cheap. You could be loud. You could drop weights. There's still a lot of benefits there. Um, it just wasn't where we were going from a brand perspective. But I just found it to be interesting how the, the original catalyst could then stem and spark all these additional things um, in, in CrossFit in particular, because they never told you how to run your business or what to do. They just, they just let you license the mark. I wonder if, you know, if you were to open a gym today, though, because I, I, I understand what you're saying about, you know, the warehouse model still has its advantages, you can drop weights, so on and so forth. But I wonder if opening a gym today, you know, you would think differently about those things even mattering, right? Like, do you have to be able to drop weights? Do you have to be, you know, in a, a, a really big warehouse or can you get away with this much smaller footprint? Um, do you need, you know, a place where you can blast music or is it beneficial to be somewhere with better foot traffic and, you know, being able to have some uh, amenities and other kind of businesses close by that kind of like cross pollinate each other? Because um, I think the landscape has also changed. Yeah. I mean, if, if I were to, if I were to do it all over now, when we first originally started, we started in this super small spot. I mean, it was so you got to remember the first gym I ever began at was in a racquetball court and it felt pretty claustrophobic and, but we made it work. Right. And from there I went to 1500 square feet was our first gym in Santa Clara. And man, this place was off the beaten path and it was just grimy, dude. I mean, it was, it was really not great. Um, <laughs> uh, next door to us, actually this, these two guys actually lived in the warehouse next door, which is obviously completely illegal, but they were living there. And so, man, they'd be smelling up food and all this kind of stuff. But anyways, the warehouse though, got me started because the rent was so affordable, but you know, the zoning wasn't complete. So if I was looking to do that again, although it's alluring because the rent is affordable, et cetera, et cetera, has high ceilings, all these different benefits. Um, you know, more than likely I was actually operating illegally there. So, but I think if I was able to find like a, like a semi retail, semi, like a quasi retail slash warehouse spot, that's probably what I would go for nowadays, because I don't know how many people just walking off the street and come visit our gym. Um, verse, I also don't think they want to go to some like really out of the way, crazy warehouse. So I think if you're able to find like this hybrid location where it's, retail ish, but still warehouse space. I think that would be the, the, the best option for a gym owner looking for a space. 
Yeah, it's an interesting conversation to have, man. The 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 space and and the entire just kind of world we're operating now has changed so much. You know, another thing that I'm I'm assuming is different. I've never owned a gym, but I'm assuming is very different is also how strict um, you know, like local officials are with you getting away with operating illegally. Like I think that in the past, a lot of gyms operated under the radar because like people didn't know what to look for. Like they didn't know that these gyms were a thing. They were just like, yeah, that's like a warehouse setting over there. They might not even know that people are working out now. Whereas yeah. now I feel like, you know, they're, they're, because it's become so mainstream, like, you know, whoever goes out and, you know, gives you a fine or whatever it is for violating these things is, is more on top of what to look for. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny out of all the years, I know that a lot of gyms operate illegally, but you don't really hear stories about them getting shut down. So we have been shut down at one of our sites in Mountain View. We got shut down. We got like this. I remember we showed up one day and we had like this pink slip on the door. It was like, it was, it was terrible. Um, I can't remember exactly. I think that one was like an ADA compliance issue. That one wasn't a zoning issue, but it feels terrible because it just frightens the hell out of you. But for a gym owner out there who's not zoned properly, you know, and, and the reasoning for the zoning I get. Now, some cities are better or worse than others. Like if you're in a different state, you know, like there's places, um, you know, out in Texas and other areas where the zoning isn't as big of an issue um, compared to here in California. And what they're really trying to alleviate is that you don't have like a, uh, you know, a warehouse space, you know, doing like high machinery type stuff right next door to an assembly use of people running in and out of the gym. So in theory, I understand the concept. Um, I just, I'm surprised more people haven't gotten in trouble for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that it's definitely a consideration to have where like as a new gym owner, what would you do? I think if I were to do it over again, I'd go for like a quasi retail slash warehouse. So like a little bit more retail in the front, a little bit more warehouse in the back. So you get the you know best of both worlds. I would try and have a standalone building and I'd probably go for like 3000 square feet. I'd probably go really, I'd probably go much smaller um, in hindsight because I'd rather just grow out of that space and be bursting at the seams and maybe open a second location or expand out than have too much space. And maybe that rent number is, 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 you know, uh, an issue, uh, you know, hindsight's always 2020, you know, we've, we've had our first space was 1500 square feet. We've gone as big as 42,000 square feet and we've gone as small as the 1500. So it just depends. So interesting to go through that thought experiment, right? Of like, if I were to do this again, um, you know, cause hindsight's 2020, but I think it does give you like some good lessons to pull from that, you know, hopefully can help you make, you know, more educated decision in, in the future. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's always like, there's always like one-offs too. Like, to be fair, the one location we had that was 46,000 square feet. The reason why it made sense at the time is because I knew the landlord and, you know, we signed this deal on a napkin at a, at a diner and we got it for five grand a month. And at that price, it was just a no brainer for us. We ended up subleasing out, you know, uh, half the space or a quarter of the space, whatever to different people. And I ended up being positive on our rent. And so that was an example where like, if you have a competitive advantage, you know, take that, right? Like if your family owns a building and you could go in there and operate your business out of it and maybe get, you know, a, a discounted rent number, well, that might give you the competitive advantage you need to be successful. So go for it. Um, th th those situations do come up every now and then, but in general, I would, I would recommend to start a little bit smaller than people think, because I'd rather have the pleasant problem of outgrowing it than having to, um, you know, have too much space and including the fact that like, TIs aren't that, that crazy, you know, like 
you're talking 100 grand in build out. You can do that somewhere else. What's a TI? Tenant improvement. So, you know, something to consider when you take, for example, like, a, I don't know, let's just use like a Chick-fil-A, well, maybe not Chick-fil-A, but like use like a, a, take, for example, something that requires a lot of build out, like an Apple store or something like that, right? Where they're, they're redoing the facade, they're changing it to glass, they're, they're doing all these things. They're spending millions of dollars on tenant improvements. They're taking a space. Oh, here's a good example, a restaurant. Let's just say you took a, a current like Walgreens and you converted it into a restaurant. The tenant improvements on that, you're, you're talking millions of dollars to get in a hood, get in all these different things, build it all out. And so if you, if you build out a restaurant, you, know, you want to make sure that you sign a long enough lease that it pencils out. Or maybe the landlord gives you TIs, but you know, again, using this as an example, you take over a small space, let's just say it's 5,000 square feet and you open up a restaurant in there and you spend $3 million to build out the, the, the restaurant space. For you to recoup that $3 million, it's probably gonna take you a while. So what you need to think about is what is my profit gonna be? Let's just say it's 100 grand a month. Well, even if your profit is 100 grand a month, you'd still need to be there for years before you recoup those initial tenant improvements. So it wouldn't make sense for you to sign a short-term lease is the theory. The, the, the opposite almost applies in fitness in a sense. There's exceptions to this. We've spent a lot of money in the past on build-outs, but in general, if you're a brick and mortar, um, you know, if you, if you own a jiu-jitsu school, jiu-jitsu even more so, or a CrossFit gym, your tenant improvements are probably gonna be minimal. You know, throw some paint on the walls, throw down some rubber, put some matting down, get some equipment. All that is movable. The equipment's all movable. And maybe you build out a shower and maybe you do some ADA compliance stuff, but you're talking 50, 100,000. And so you could sign a shorter term lease and get away with it potentially um, to see if you could outgrow that space. Sorry, I could go off on tangents on this stuff. I'm very passionate about it. <laughs> I see that. I see that. Um, anything else you wanted to cover on the business side? You're on a big business no, kick this morning. No, I'm on, I'm on a business kick this morning. Um, no, gym owners, uh, make sure that if you did not check out our coach to CEO uh, webinar series that Gabe and I are, uh, have been doing. Um, we're currently going to be hitting week three when this releases. Um, it was a three-week uh, Coach to CEO series. And um, we'll go ahead and link that in the podcast show notes for anybody who wants to talk more business. But um, should we yeah. pivot to more athlete specific or what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we should uh, stick to the plan, something that the big guy struggles with from time to time. But we, we eventually get him back on. Um, we put the question stickers on this week. Uh, some good nutrition and training questions that came in. Jay, I don't yeah. know if there's a couple that you wanted to answer. I can go first. Um, yeah, go for it. I have I have a good one too, but hit it. I really like this. Well, not I really like. I, it's, it's definitely something that I'm passionate about. Uh, but easy meals to make. I think this is such a such a good topic because, you know, when it comes to fitness as well, but nutrition especially, you know, a big excuse or valid reason depending that people come up with is not having enough time right like i would love to cook my own meals i would love to have super healthy food but i just don't have the time and again like i completely sympathize you know and i i don't exactly know what it's like to be a parent yet we're going to find out here pretty soon but i sympathize with like a lot of you know working parents out there that have to get the kids ready in the morning and then they have to go to work and then they have to pick up the kids and then they probably have like an after school activity and you know like where do you fit the time to like cook a, a, a really like good home cooked meal on a daily basis and yes you can food prep yes this so i know that this question of like easy meals comes up a lot and you know there there's really no like 
easy, easy solution. But here are a couple of things that I think are super useful that have worked for me and my wife, Arielle, that I think I can share and, and, and hopefully, um, you know, people get some benefit out of this. I think that food, like meal prep is tough if you're trying to like, hey, I need to have my exact seven meals for the whole week. And I think that sometimes people approach food prep with like this all or nothing. Like it's, I need to have everything in Tupperware. Like you see those, you know, some of those influencers, how they like take a picture of, on the Sunday of their fridge and it looks like crazy, like everything's organized. Like that's great. Unrealistic for some probably, but there's an in-between where if you identify, hey, what takes the longest to cook? Like for us, that's usually our protein. So what we'll do is, you know, we love the air fryer. We love the slow cooker. And what we've been doing a lot lately, that's a great way to get a lot of protein cooked at once is to put in like a big beef roast. So like an arm roast or a pike roast. Yeah, you just leave it all day, right? Leave it all day in the slow cooker. It makes like a delicious like shredded beef. And it's enough for both of us for two days of dinner and probably like a third day of lunch. And so because protein takes the longest, like finding ways to cook your protein that are not super hands-on. So you're not like sitting there in front of the stove, like looking at it, making sure it's perfect, like set the slow cooker and forget it. Grilling is also just a great way to like get a lot done at once. Like most grills that people will have will be able to eat a lot. So you can do like a lot of chicken breast, a lot of that. But my biggest recommendation is if you're going to food prep anything, food prep your protein because that tends to take the longest for your carb. You can usually quickly make some like microwavable bag of rice, throw some potatoes in the slow cooker. Like it's much easier to get your carbs day in and day out because I know another thing that people struggle with, with like food prepping a lot in advance is just boredom. Like, you know, how many days in a row do I want to have, you know, chicken and white rice? I get that. So the nice thing about like, you know, prepping a bunch of shredded beef on Monday is, you know, we'll have beef and rice on Monday. We'll have beef tacos on Tuesday, and then we'll have like the rest of it with some like potatoes on Wednesday. And the meal feels different enough that like you don't get boredom, but I'm also not cooking the protein every single day. So that would be like my best piece of advice of like, quote unquote, an easy meal um, is, is prepping your protein. And then the second tip that I have for people is especially with like the popularity now of organ meats, there is almost any, any of like the online, like places where you can get beef. They usually now do a ground beef blend that has a little bit of liver, a little bit of heart, and the rest is just ground beef. And honestly, is it cheaper? Not, no, it's not cheaper. It's usually actually just a little bit more, but you know, the, the argument is that like organ meats are very, very nutritious, which they are. If you follow like, you know, the crazy like liver king type people, you know, they're eating liver raw. I think it's completely unnecessary. I've even tried that route. It's, it's, you don't need anywhere near that much. You definitely don't need to eat it raw to get like a lot of the benefits from organ meats, which is super, super nutrient dense. So always having on hand, another thing we always have on hand is ground beef blend from, we order from a place called White Oak Pastures or, or Red Provisions. Both of those are great. And so it's a blend. You can't really taste it. Um, and it's just a really easy thing to like make tacos with, make ground beef, make chili, that you're getting a little bit of that stuff in. But honestly, like we've even done like blind test taste testing in that like we have pretty picky eaters in our family, like our siblings. And if we don't tell them that that's what we use for like meatballs or whatever, when we have family dinner, like they don't bat an eye. 
Whereas if you told them that it was that, like yeah. they, they, they wouldn't touch it. So those are my two tips. It's prep your protein ahead of time. I think carbs are relatively easy to do day in and day out. Slow cooker, great idea, grill, great idea. And then having like a ground beef blend that has a little bit of organ meat is just a great way to like easily get some of the most like nutrient dense food you can have access to. Yeah. I mean, Ashley likes using the pressure cooker. I don't know how often you guys use that, but she uses a pressure cooker for a bunch of different stuff. Yeah. But like like uh, your slow cooker, to your point, like, you know, she'll throw something there at like before kids go to school. And by the time like the kids get back or whatever happens, like everything's all that protein is ready. So like Ashley has a tendency to do the same thing as what you're talking about. I don't, I don't cook that often. I do grill. I grill a lot. Um, that's something that um, I, I, I really enjoy doing. Right. So, and it's not that like slow. So like, for example, um, Ash will prepare like patties, like what you're saying or whatever the meat is, do we'll just go out there, especially if I have a gas grill, like I have a green egg too, but that's more like a weekend thing. Gas grill, boom, 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 boom all good to go. You know, easy. Easy and quick, easy and quick. Um, what training question do you want to tackle? Dude, so I'll start with this one. It's a great question. Great question. World-class question. What separates NC Compete programs to the various others out there, Mayhem, Proven, et cetera? So I think what's important is that um, NC Fit offers a variety of different programs that we use in our gyms. That's, that's the, that's, we, we use them in our gyms. And I think that's an important note because something that we've recognized over the years is that at times you'll have athletes that are on their own compete track that are kind of creating their own environment in the corner. And what happens is like this cool kids club starts to develop at your gym and it becomes kind of an issue long-term for the gym owner. Gym owners listening, I think would probably relate to this. Now, if you're an athlete out there and you're, you're like on the cusp of going to the games, like you, you need individual design. You are like right there. You, you've passed, what semifinals, quarterfinals, whatever, and you're like right there. You're probably gonna need something like a you know HWPO proven or even more individual design than that. If you are intending to go to the CrossFit Games, I think those are great options for you. But if you're someone who's looking to come in, take class at your location at your gym, or in our case, you know, take uh, do our workouts wherever you do them at and are looking for additional volume to supplement, to add in additional you know, fitness, that's where I think NC Compete plays a really good role. Meaning NC Compete revolves around our Metcon track. So the Metcon track, which everybody in the gym does, is the foundation, and then Compete kind of has additional layers. So from a gym owner perspective, and for us at our gym, it's beautiful because people come in before class or stay after class, but they're still taking class. They're still a part of our community. They're still, uh, uh, you know, joined as as a as a culture, versus like on this like thing that no one can relate to. And I think that's the biggest difference between us and others is that we revolve around our met contract to create the compete track. We're not just com completely creating something different because we were basically the the initial thoughts were we were tired of people creating their own cohorts in our gyms and we wanted to encourage them to take class. Not to mention, I'm also a big believer that, you know, the program kind of matters, but not really. It's the environment you're in and it's the push that you're giving. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sitting here like two days out from, uh, so I train pretty hard. I train pretty hard on the mats. I train pretty hard in the gym, but on Tuesdays we film content at the gym. We get all of our coaches go, not all of them. We have like, we had like 10 of them there the other day. And we were doing a workout 
And I pushed hard because I wanted to beat these, these people, right? And I'm sore than I've been in a while. It wasn't because the program was super creative or innovative. It was because I was putting myself in a competition mindset and competition environment. And so I think for people who are deciding between using our compete track or others, don't jump around from program to program. If you, I mean, you, you can, if you want, but all programs are going to have their pros and cons. But at the end of the day, really focus on the environment you put yourself in, because that's ultimately how I believe you're going to go to the next level. If you want to compete in the sport of fitness. So I'm going to say, don't jump around from fitness program to program without the, without the exception of like, you can, if you want, you're, you're just not going to get results that way. And, and I've been there and I know a lot of people tend to gravitate towards like, Oh, well, it's just the programming. Like I'm not getting better because of the programming. And one thing that, that I definitely realized in, in, you know, when I was really pursuing performance is that, you know, it's really easy to start to, to, start progressing at a rate that is like this and expect that that's going to happen in perpetuity because why not right like i'm working just as hard i'm being just as consistent but the truth of the matter is like we get to the point where we're getting close enough to our ceiling that it takes a lot more work a lot more patience a lot more consistency to make the same amount of progress that before you made just by showing up and that is when it's most important to stay consistent with a plan, you know, whether it's NC compete or any of the other brands out there, like there's a method to the buildup that they have in their programming. Like we have very small, very smart coaches writing our programming. They have very smart coaches at writing their programming. If you do a month here, a month there, a month there, trying to hope that something is going to like unlock the secret yeah. to you making big fitness gains, you're not getting the intended benefit of what any of those three teams of really smart expert coaches have put together. And you're essentially throwing away the probably valuable money that you're investing in having access to all these programs. Yeah. Because you're, you're not, you're not seeing like, it's like you're going on a road trip. You're only going halfway there. Not letting it work. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. I mean, I, I just really want to make sure I, I, I bring this note home. And when we have people at the gym who want to compete in the sport of fitness, like that's great. Hell yeah. But I cannot tell you how important it is to create an environment where you're having fun and you're pushing each other. Like sure. there is a reason why these training camps are in camps, not individual. So, you know, you got to find a way to, to make it sustainable and to push each other. And, you know, you want to be able to find ultimately, I think having a coach, I think matters. But I think having training partners is the biggest thing, because on the days you're not feeling it, on the days you're beat up, they're the ones that pick you up. And on the days that they're not feeling it, they're not whatever, you could go pick them up. And I think that's what the energy is all about. You know, for years and years and years, I saw that with uh, NorCal CrossFit with Miranda, Pat, Alex, Molly, I mean, Garrett, Neil, you know, we would go in and in general, I'm always pretty fired up, ready to rock, but there's some days that I'm not right. And so when Miranda would come over to my garage at 5 AM and I didn't want to go do intervals, it made me feel like an asshole if I didn't go do them. So I did it. And it's that, uh, it's that type of relationship and accountability that I think makes a big difference. So I just want to make sure I highlighted that too. You know, another just example that, that I'll bring up that I think applies to most people out there, you know, maybe not the person that is like guaranteed quarterfinal, you know, competitor, definitely going to a semifinal, but for most people that, you know, have performance aspirations, but are in this, are in this place where, yeah, you know, nine times out of 10, you're the fittest person in group class, but you're not like blowing everyone out of the water every single class. 
I think that there's such a benefit to how we structure NC Compete, where the expectation is that everyone's doing the, the main workout with class because, and we all know this, there's always someone in that class that might have no competitive aspirations, but there's like that one member that- Either like a ninja at something, legit, right? Right, or just has that like dad strength that like if it's the right workout, like he'll give you a run for your money. Like sure, he probably can't do a single muscle up, but if the workout is Cali Bear today, he's gonna like fire you up because you're like, holy crap, like I'm a competitor and I'm over here trying to keep up with like, you know, 38 year old dad, because he's just strong. He used to be a D one football player, whatever. There's always someone in class that in some way, shape or form, I think can push, you know, you in the right workout, just like to Jason's point, like you don't even need to have this, like, you know, room of killers, like you did at NorCal CrossFit to get that push. There's plenty of people in the group class environment that I think can give you a push that's much more valuable than, hey, I'm doing this very specific program that is, you know, I really believe in, in the corner alone three times a day. Yeah, and, you know, I think that that when you train alone, it's tough, right? I think there's benefit to training alone. Um, I train alone a lot in my garage, more so for my own mindset and mental toughness and trying to break through things. But in terms of like training with other people, I think you get so much more out of it. And you could always adjust things. So let's just say you're an athlete out there and you're following a program. If you have other people doing it with you, you know, I've had plenty of times where I'll let someone start before me. I will adjust their reps and I'll see if I can still beat them. I will, there's all different types of ways you could gamify it to, to level the playing field if that's something you also wanna do. Like let's just say you have training partners and you always outperform them. Well, think about ways to try and level the playing field more so that they can really give you that push. Maybe you adjust the weights a little bit differently. Maybe you adjust the movements or the rep scheme. But those are other like little gamification ideas where it pushes you to see what's possible. The other day, I had Heber and Marston here and we gamified that where the workout was eight rounds. They did it as partners. So one round on, one round off. I did it as eight rounds, like straight through. And the goal was to see, can I still beat them with one round on, one round off? So I did not beat them. Uh, it was kind of close, I guess, but... They were they were hauling ass because they had a whole round of rest and I didn't have that. But that's that's an example. It's a good example. I'm excited for that video to come out and and watch you kind of go through that. Um, another question that I can answer quickly that came in is advice on best protein powders, complete profile of essential amino acids, etc. You know, whenever anyone like says, "Hey, nutrition questions," the supplement question always comes up, and I think we've talked about this in the past, Jay. Like supplements shouldn't be the first thing you're thinking about. I think there's a lot of other things that need to be in place. I don't think Jason even takes supplements and look at the size of this guy. Like you don't need it. With that said, if you are asking for what I look for in a protein powder, just minimal ingredients. And when it comes to amino acids, the one thing that seems to be like unanimously understood as important is having at least two grams of leucine. Um, leucine is the amino acid that like sparks the protein synthesis process. So you just want to make sure that you have two grams of leucine in your serving of protein. There'll be some proteins out there that don't list how much of every amino acid they have. That's usually a red flag. It's a little bit more expensive to have that amount of leucine in it, but it's important. And that's the one thing that like unanimously seems to be the most important factor to like having a good complete 
protein source. So look out for that. I like minimal ingredients. That's just kind of more of a personal thing. Um, but the leucine content is is probably the most important thing you want to look for. Dude, love it. Um, I mean, there's a lot of questions here. Favorite cardio machine? Favorite cardio machine? Favorite or most effective? Uh, oh, man. I mean, I'd say an air. I don't know. Uh, that's a tough question, right? It is a tough question. Because I, I was literally, I was about to say the rower. And then I was like, oh, but the assault bike is so great. Dude, the, the, um, and the runner is great too. I mean, uh, I, I, haven't, I haven't been able to use the runner as much. And I'm also just from my endurance background, like I enjoy running outside so much that I, I wouldn't, I know it's great, but I wouldn't gravitate towards that. But between the rower and the assault bike, it's tough. I'd, I'd probably go with the assault bike um, if I had to pick one. Um, but I love the C2. I love the, I love, I mean, I love them all, but I'd probably pick the bike. I think that it gives you the most, uh, aerobic conditioning while also, um, supporting some type of like muscle stamina. Um, I think, I think, I think it works both really well. So I'd go for that. Um, one more is uh, thoughts on no there days a, off. I'm, I'm just going to like humble brag here really quick. This was oh like way back in the day. I couldn't touch this now, but there was a while where I got super, super into the rower. Like I was rowing three, four times a week, like, following a program on it. Like I just wanted to get good on the rower because I wasn't good at the rower and I'm like a shorter guy. So it doesn't like, it's not a movement that like naturally is advantageous to me. And I remember I still have the screenshot. I rode a 646 2k and that's like one of my biggest accomplishments in like all things, functional fitness and CrossFit. Cause the 646 isn't bad. It's pretty good. It's cute. It's cute. It's good. It's not well, bad. all right. I mean, what did you row for, um, well, it was a 1K, right? It was a 1K to start the half marathon? No, it was it was a 2K. I'm actually going to look it up right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, I want to know. How, how low in the sixes did you get? CrossFit Games um, 2K row. Let's see. I'm using the good old Google. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it was like 616, but let me um, – I will tell you right now. That's Here we go. Fast. 2013. Hang on, wait for because the 615 is like a one 134 pace. Wait, I think it was okay. Row one. Oh, okay. All right, fine. 621. Oh, dude, come on. I was like right there. Okay, but to be fair, <laughs> right? To I'm be kidding. fair, I went from 621 and then you continued for a half marathon. I, I know. But um did you hold back at all? Um, a, a little bit, but not that much. You know, you know, it's funny the way the monitor worked and this is like a random fact. So it yeah, was a half. You, you didn't know, right? I didn't know because it was a half marathon row, which is like X amount of meters and it counted it backward. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And that. so when you're looking at it, I just remember like, you know, you're kind of like in the moment, you're trying to like do some basic math and you're like, what's X minus 2000. You're like, uh, uh, you know, because it wasn't like a simple, like 26,000. It was like, 26,523 or whatever yeah, it was. Super the, random. Yeah. Super random. And so I just remember I rode pretty damn hard for seven minutes. And then I told myself, I said, I know for a fact I got a, a 2K in that time. So then I slowed down. But, um, you know, my, my best achievement on the rower, I think, well, I told you a story about the 500 meter and eating bacon. So I think my favorite, my favorite one was I was in the garage one time and I hit a sub three minute, uh, uh, 1k, that was a pretty good accomplishment. The first time I did that, uh, 
I had like a 258. And I just remember this was like years ago. I just laid on the floor and I was so happy. Um, that hurts, that was, man. That time dude, domain, that, oh, that time domain hurts. Dude, it's the worst, man. Um, and then, you know, obviously I, I've done a few 500s. Um, my best 500 was 118. Um, but uh, I hit a one. The first time I hit under 120, this guy walks into the gym. I just got done coaching. I happened to be eating bacon at the time. And he walks in. He's like, hey, you're Jason Kleep. I was like, yeah, what's up, man? Welcome to the gym. You know, hope you're doing well. He's like, I want to challenge you to a 500-meter row. I was like, okay, when? He goes, right now. I'm like, oh, shit. I was like, this guy. And at the time, like, it got me all fired up because, like, this guy's coming to my home. I'm trying to eat my bacon, and he wants to throw it on 500-meter. And so I ended up peeing. He, now, in his defense, he also got a pretty good time. I think it was like 121, but I PR'd my 500 meter row that day. Oh, I can only imagine how that felt afterwards on your stomach. But um, yeah, man, I, I I enjoyed that time when I was like really, really rowing a lot. Because um, it reminded me of, of, of swimming a little bit in that, because I feel like with the assault bike, and maybe this isn't necessarily true, but I feel like you kind of have to muscle it a little bit more. I feel like on the rower, you can be, you can smooth. find like a smooth, you know, even, even when you're pulling hard and, and really trying to like put out a good effort, there's like a smoothness to it. That's like, you know, like methodical and kind of like, it reminded me of like swimming in many ways. Whereas the bike, I feel like regardless of the time domain, you're kind of gritting your teeth and like pushing through it. I was doing a workout um, a couple of days ago with one of our um, coaches. Her name's Margo. And the the workout was in one minute accomplish a 20 cal bike or 15 cal bike. The next minute was an AMRAP of either chest bar pull-ups and, and squats or bar muscle-ups and squats, and then you had a rest. So you came in on the off the bike. You were coming in, you were coming onto the bike fresh. You had a minute of rest. And I was trying to teach her this technique, and, and I think it's valuable where for me, I'm able to get 20 cows a minute, like, especially if you're kind of like doing it in between other stuff pretty easily. Um, I get it done in about 30 seconds by like right at the top of the minute beginning, I'll crank it pretty hard. I'll ramp up the RPMs pretty aggressively. I'll go for about maybe 15 seconds or until I feel like maybe my heart rate's spiking too much. And then I'll really lay off, like really lay off. Like I'll go from, let's just say 80, 90 RPMs to let's just say like 40 or 50, 40 or 50 RPMs. And then I ramp it up one more time to 90 for like maybe 10 seconds and boom, you're at 20 or 15, depending on who you are. And it was a technique I was sharing with her. So I wanted to share it here, which is, you know, ramp up for 15, drop for like 10, ramp up for 10 and you have your calories. And the reason why I think it helps is because, especially on like an echo bike or a salt bike, you exponentially gain calories when you're at a higher RPM. Um, like riding the assault bike at 65 RPMs is not easy. It still sucks, but you don't gain the type of calories you do if you're at like 90 RPMs. So a recommendation I like trying, at least try it, is sprint, regain your heart rate, sprint, regain your heart rate, and then jump off. The thinking there is also, and I, I don't remember, I took my, my level three um, a while ago, so I might be getting the energy systems wrong, but the reasoning there too is that you're in the glycolytic system at first and then you switch over to the aerobic system. So there's always a, a gain to be had by starting off with a sprint, not like a dead, dead sprint, obviously, but if you start that assault bike like nice and nice and slow, you're not necessarily going to be 
that much fresher than if you start really like full pedal on the gas because at, at, at around that like 30, 40 second mark, you switch energy systems. So you're done being over here completely anaerobic and you go into aerobic. So you might as well use that gas tank as much as you can because you're going to switch over anyway. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to talk to Chris about this because the only the only caveat with this is that you will feel the blood rush to your legs a little bit. So you got to sure. work the stamina there, especially for me, I was combining it with air squats, but you know, it's just something to think about where you ramp it up. You're, you're trying to keep your heart rate low. Once you feel like, oh shit, I cannot sustain this. Then just drop it way down. Not like kind of down, like way down. So you can really regain your breath, deep nasal breathing. And then you hit it one more time. Your, your intuition is going to say to keep the bike going kind of fast because you're, you know, whatever, but it's just a different technique to incorporate. And I think it's, it's super valuable. Um, it's kind of like gamifying the bike. Whereas like take, for example, um, box jumps, this is another good example. So if you jump up and jump down on a box jump versus jump up and step down in particular on like a 30 inch box, you're not really saving that, that much time jumping down and jumping up than you would be jumping up, stepping down. And you got to kind of evaluate the energy expenditure to the, um, time savings. So if you're on a bike and you're just like sprinting the whole time, or if you're going slow the whole time, or if you're doing this interval style concept, you should evaluate how long does it take me to get 20 cows doing this interval style? How long does it take me going slow? How long does it take me going whatever? And then see which one works best for you. You know, I remember one year before regionals, there was this event that was deadlifts and box jumps at 30 inches. And I, I did, must've done the workout 10 times. And I tried different techniques. Like, should I jump up, jump down for the first five, then jump up, step down and find what works for you. Right. Cause there's a threshold somewhere in there. Does Austin Maliolo still have like the world record for that workout? I remember oh, watching the video of him, dude. Austin Maliolo has the dude. longest arms I have ever seen. And you can, you can, it's crazy seeing it in that workout because to deadlift, he doesn't have to move. Dude. Obviously he has to move, but he like doesn't have to move. Dude. Yeah. So he set the record for that. I, I don't think that um, in that particular one, actually Garrett beat me in that one too. It was 315 deadlift and then 30 inch box jump. That was a smoker, man. Dude, I remember the last like nine reps of that. You would literally have to jump as hard as you humanly could. Like literally as hard as I could just to get onto a 30 inch box. Um, but uh, yeah, man, one year at regionals, this is funny. This is like 2000. I don't know, man, probably like 2012 or 13, probably 2012. We were at the Santa Clara fairgrounds and um, I had won the regionals like three years in a row at this point. And so a lot of people were kind of like paying attention to what I was doing. I was also in the lead at the time. And uh, it was that, but it was raining. And so there was huge divots and we were on grass. And it's like you were deadlifting from a deficit. And um, anyways, long and short of it is, man, I fall started like crazy. I mean, I, I went way early and um, I, I got to go look up the video because now I don't remember what I was going to say about that story. But we were in like major divots. So never mind. That's my ADD kicking in. It, it's crazy how how much the sport has has kind of oh, um, professionalized changed as well. You know, doing yeah. heavy deadlifts on divots and grass. Um, yeah, yeah, you're, you're trying to move the bar because you're like in this deficit right. versus yeah. trying to like, you know what I mean? Um. You know, here's something I thought super interesting that I read about this morning. I'm curious if you've heard about it. Have you heard about liquid death? Yeah. The water? Yeah. What about them? So they they hit a $700 million valuation today after 
being founded just three years ago, which is pretty crazy. And it's crazy because like, if you boil down what the business is, it's canned water with like, uh, uh, you know, like heavy rock branding. It's crazy. It's insane. And it's gone, it's gone insane. And I have a funny story about it too, where I, where I saw them first, but I I just, I, I find these stories super fascinating because, and we have this conversation all the time, like the power of building a brand, like if you hit the nail on the head with branding. You can sell water in a can and that's it. It's water in a can. Like me and you today can start Jason and Gabe water in a can and it's the, it would be the same product. Like it, no different. Yeah. I, I, I bet you we're not going to get to a $700 million Dude, valuation. It's in crazy. Years. It's insane. Well, it's, so it's a New Zealand or Australian water company that they had a sparkling water and they had a regular water. I remember the first time I saw it, they had a black can, a white can. I was like, dude, this is this is stupid. I was in LA and a giant truck drove by me. And it was like liquid death. And I was like, dude, why would anybody ever want to drink liquid death? Like, I don't understand the theory. And uh, well, sure, sure enough, here we are years later and uh, they have a $700 million evaluation. It's insane. And the funny story is when I was at Beacon, that... Um, summit that I went to that Gary V put on, they had like a welcome party the first day. It was like, they had a live DJ and they had a whole bunch of vendors and people giving out free stuff. And I, I like needed water. Like I was like, I should drink some water. I should stay hydrated. You know, being the health nut that I am, I, I wasn't necessarily going to start the weekend off, especially cause it was like early in the day, like drinking an energy drink or like a beer or anything like that. And I saw the liquid death booth and they were giving out liquid death for free because they just wanted to get into people's hands. And I like didn't think twice. Like I saw everyone holding the can, but I looked at the can and I was like, all right, definitely don't want to start my weekend off with one of those. And, exactly, I, went to, right? and, and I went to like the vendor and because it, this was in like a, you know, like a sports park setting, I think I ended up paying like $7 for like a bottle of Dasani. And later I found out that like, it was just water. Like they were giving out water. And I ended up going to like buy overpriced crappy water. Um, so that's my funny story about it. But yeah, man, it's interesting. They've like hit a nerve and it's, it's, it's crazy what ends up going viral. Because I agree, like if you would have told me that, you know, this crazy looking can that just sells water would become as popular as it has, um, I'd call you crazy. Yeah, I mean, their branding is good for what it is, but it just seems, yeah, anyways. Well, hey, good for them. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we could have many people that listen to this show hit a $700 million valuation. That'd be great. Well, um, look out, look out for Jason and Gabe Waterco launching hey, next week. Shout out to Gabe and Jason Waterco. Maybe it's <laughs> the new coffee company we start. Um, but, uh, I will say, um, gym owners, coaches, make sure you check out, um, the coaches CEO webinar series we did. I think it had a lot of value if you're, yeah, you know, so, a gym owner. Yeah, go ahead. So just a note on that. If you're listening to this, we've already done all three webinars live, but we do obviously have the recording. So the way to get the recording is sign up for our Build Better newsletter because uh, you can't sign up for the webinar series anymore. So the Build Better newsletter sign up is going to be in the show notes. Make sure you sign up. And in the next newsletter, I will include all three recordings so that you get the whole series. So just a note on that. Build better. Yep. Um, okay, perfect. And uh, as per usual, you know, athletes, coaches, we have the NC Fit app. We also have the NC Fit Collective. It's exactly what we use in our gyms. I think we're putting out the best session plans and programming. So if you're tired of programming for your gym 
We got you covered. I really think we have the best team in the business doing it, um, specifically because we own and operate our own gyms. It can't suck. And so if you're looking to outsource that, we got you covered. Um, just really appreciate you guys listening to these conversations. You know, we just riff on different subjects. Uh, we have plenty more questions that came in through Instagram. We got to get to in, in up uh, later weeks. But make sure you guys are checking out, you know, at Jason Klepa, at NZ.fit. Check out Gabe Yanez. And, uh, you know, we're putting up those sticker tabs. So make sure you guys add in your questions and we'll make sure we get to them over time. Gabe, any final words here, bro? No, man. I mean, an unfortunate update because I know we've been talking about the Mets and, and their, <laughs> their kind of exploits here. So it's funny because this always comes out a week later. So when this comes out, we should know if they made it past the first round of the playoffs or not. But they ended up losing the division in epic Mets fashion. They like collapsed in the last week of the season. They've been leading the division for 150 I guess 159 games out of the 162 game season. And then at the end, they lost and came in second. Dude, I actually saw, so I was watching Sports Center for a second because Caden's really into baseball. And they brought up the Mets as like one of the longest uh, leading streaks ever, like top three ever for like, yeah. like winning the division for that long. Is that, you know what I mean? Like, I just was thinking of you. It's rough, man. It's rough. It builds a lot of mental fortitude, though being a Mets fan. Uh, but we're still in the playoffs, so there's still hope. Still I, are hope. Giants going to the playoffs? Uh, no, not this year. Oh, shit. All right. Well, you heard it here first. Uh, Mets are in the playoffs, so uh, root for them. And uh, really appreciate you guys listening. We'll, uh, we'll be back on again next week. Oh,